Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attacked those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, he said, fight. You can't fight. He said, withstand. You can't withstand. He said, stand. What does it mean to stand? He said, don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we've got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it fast for us, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome, David Baker. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. Hey, we're glad that you're here. Welcome. We have something special today. I have a guest with me, and uh, your name is, sir? Jonathan Baker. Jonathan Baker. That sounds familiar. So uh, how old are you? I'm 26. 26 years old. Hey, we started our church when I was 26 years old. Just a kid, just a kid. So uh, awesome. And uh, married, single? Married with uh, one little seven-month seven month old girl. One married with a seven-month old little girl. What's her name? Raylan Sage. Uh, and she is adorable. This is my uh, second oldest son, uh, fourth oldest child. And uh, we're going to do, you saw the podcast uh, title uh, on there. We're talking about Calvinism today. So, um, so uh, Jonathan, let me ask you, um, where did you get your uh, doctorate of theology degree at? Um, I don't have one. You don't have one. Okay. Um, well, sorry. Where'd you get your master's of theology at? Uh, I don't have one. Uh, you don't have one of those? Oh, okay. So your Bachelor's of Theology, where did you get that degree at? Uh, no no degree. No degrees. Wow. So w- what is your training? Uh, I'm a carpenter. <laughs> a carpenter? Oh, trying to be like Jesus, huh? Okay. That, you're That's a carpenter. Beard, you got the so. beard. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So uh, the beard and uh, the carpenter. So, um, so uh, and what do you do for work now? Uh, I install garage doors. Wow. Okay. So, um, so what makes you qualified to talk about a subject of Calvinism? Uh, I think, uh, I think, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth and, uh, (laughs) um, just letting the Holy spirit lead you. And, and, uh, I've, uh, when I was uh, 11 or 12, our neighbor, uh, next door got married and the man, that she married was a retired air force mechanic and uh and he was calvinist and so at 
11 years old, I started debating Calvinism, uh, not because I knew anything about it, just because something was wrong and I didn't, I, uh, I disagreed with what he said. So that started my entrance into uh, uh, Calvinism and what it was. So yes, it's amazing how it starts. Uh, neighbor, good guy, but just wrong on doctrine. And so, you know, our kids growing up in church and hearing the Bible, knowing the Bible is like, wait, that's not right. That doesn't mm-hmm. sound right. I remember you coming in and going, wow, the neighbor teaching my kid Calvinism. So um, we had fun. And so that started your journey on this. And then uh, you've had some uh, some people that also uh, have come across through your life who have believed this doctrine. Yeah, I've had some uh, friends and family and uh, I guess family of family, uh, that have talked about these things and, and gotten me further into it and, uh, seeing the problems that it's causing, uh, through it too, that it's not just, oh, we disagree, but that it actually has consequences to this. Um, and, and, uh, um, so yeah, that's, uh, why I, I'm fairly passionate about this, um, just cause I see how it's affecting people and, and even people going as far as to judge someone else on their salvation because, oh, you may not be elect. Yeah, it's amazing. We're going to get into all that. So uh, here's what we're going to do. And over the next few weeks, we're going to have a series of podcasts on Calvinism. I've talked about it for a while. Uh, and finally said, hey, we got to do this thing. So um, we're going to, this one will be an overall general one. So if you have someone that uh, uh, believes or has dabbled in it or curious about it, this is one you can send them. We're going to cover today all five points of Calvinism and why we disagree with them. By the way, if you want to read something on it, I'd recommend Curtis Hudson, Why I disagree with all five points of Calvinism. I was almost going to call it that, but uh, I wanted to bring up the wolf. So Calvinism, is it truth or the big bad wolf? So Jonathan, would you say Calvinism is the truth or the big bad wolf? Well, it's definitely not the truth. So you can put whatever <laughs> label you want to on it. Oh, and we talk about wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, it's amazing how big this Calvinism doctrine is or reformed theology, as they want to call it. Um, and uh, it's amazing how big it's gotten. That's why I wanted to call it the big bad wolf, because I believe it is wolves in sheep's clothing. And many of the things sound good and sound right, um, but it is uh, it is a mess. The first time I grew up hearing this. I was uh, like 22 years old, just finished my freshman year in Bible college. I came down to Tennessee where my family was at. I wanted to make sure my grandmother and, and aunts, uncles, and cousins were saved and my friends. And I ended up preaching at a little church down here. And my old girlfriend came, the very first girlfriend I ever had. I was three years old. And uh, I uh, asked Bethany, I couldn't say uh, Bethany, but I asked Bethany to be my girlfriend. And uh, so anyway, um, well, we were friends all through the years. We moved away. They moved away. Uh, but I was preaching in town and she was there she came and um after the service we were talking and she said yeah she says i keep sinning i keep going into the world i keep messing up and uh, i'm talking to her about it what i preached and she said yeah my pastor told me sorry you just may not be one of the chosen you just may not be one of the ones that's predestined to go to heaven. I'm like, what? And I'd heard of the doctrines. I said, that's crazy. And literally her pastor told her because she had struggles in the flesh with sin, then she might not be one of the chosen ones. So what a horrible thing to be able to tell someone. That's the first time I practically 
saw that. So what is uh, Calvinism? So it is a doctrine put together by John Calvin. By the way, if there's a doctrine and it's it goes back to some guy in the 1500s, then um, I would probably say that's not the Bible, okay? This whole doctrine is named after a guy, John Calvin, that was Catholic, who's now part of the, the Reformation. And um, he was a French theologian, a pastor reformer in Geneva under the Protestant Convention. He passed away in 1564. Um and um, and so what was said was, is this, that, listen, so um, are you Armenian or Calvinist or Calvinist? And when you look at Armenian, we say, well, I'm not Armenian, so then I guess I'm Calvinist. And for many people, that's what it is. And it's called a false dichotomy. Um, a dichotomy dies too. And so a false dichotomy, you give people a choice. Hey, Jonathan, are you a um, Alabama um, fan or a Gators, Florida Gators fan? I'm Neither. <laughs> neither. Okay. It's a false dichotomy. You give someone a choice of two things and neither of them are true. Neither of them are right. And so that's so many times what has happened or a false trichotomy. The other one is called universalism where everybody's going to be safe. Surely mm -hmm. God would not send anyone to hell. And those are the three quote positions out there that you have to choose from. And it's not, there's one we call the Bible. Okay. I believe the Bible. I'm a Bible believer and the Bible is not Armenian all the way, and it's definitely not Calvinist. And Jesus was definitely not a Calvinist. I want to do a podcast sometime just on that. And so it's a wrong thing. Many times they say, well, this person was a Calvinist, and they claim to be a Calvinist because they're given two choices, Armenian and Calvinism, and uh, and they were not that. And so in this podcast, we've talked a lot about sound doctrine. And I want to set this up and make sure you understand what is sound doctrine. Uh, four times in the Bible, the Bible says the word sound doctrine. A time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4.3. Uh, Titus 1.9, holding fast a faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to both exhort and convince the gay sayers. Titus 2.1, but speak thou the things which, which become sound doctrine. Sound doctrine means that it has no holes in it. This ship is sound. You get into a ship, it's got a big hole in it, water's coming up there. This ship is not sound. I don't want to take this out on a lake or the ocean. This doctrine the same way, listen carefully. If the doctrine can be shot with holes, it is not sound. For instance, eternal security. Uh, once a person has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells them, they're sealed under the day of redemption. You cannot lose your salvation. You are eternally secure. That is a sound doctrine. Give me any verse anywhere and understanding it, rightly dividing it, this doctrine of eternal security is going to stand, okay? There are no holes that, well, what about, what about, what about? The Bible will answer all of those. It's sound doctrine, okay? Listen carefully. Calvinism is not sound doctrine. So we're going to go through all five points. We're going to talk about them. And in this episode, we are going to lay out and show it is not sound doctrine. If one verse pierces the, quote, truth they're trying to show of Calvinism, then this is not sound. And of course, every one of these, there's more than one verse to do that. So um, that's what we're going to do. And uh, through this, I'll, uh, one of the things, Jonathan, I, I'm constantly, when I hear things like, 
how do they, what do they do to this verse? How do they refute this? How do they deal with this? It's just, it is so clear and so true how in the world, and we'll get into a little bit of how they do that uh, later on, but um, that's what we wanted to uh, to start with. So um, by the way, when I started on this for this podcast, and then I gave it to Jonathan, um, I had asked someone who does another podcast who uh, most of them are reformed and uh, I'd messaged them and I said, Hey, uh, I wanted to study more on Calvinism. Who, is the best teacher out about it. And um, because a lot of times they say, oh, you misrepresented it. You didn't say it right. That's not what we really believe. And so I asked them who the best one was, and they said R.C. Sproul. And uh, he's passed away now. And uh, R.C. Sproul passed away in 2017, an American Reformed theologian ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church, and he teaches a lot about this. And I'll be honest with you, when I first started this, I'm like, okay, because Calvinism is for the intellectual. Many people who claim to be smart, okay, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Um, much learning has made them mad. But many people that are intelligent and uh, boy, we have this uh, intellectual ability end up many times going to Calvinism. And so I'm getting ready to listen to the best guy on this. And to be honest, Jonathan, I was like, okay, let's see where I end up. <laughs> and I believe truth can, you know, handle the scrutiny, but I was a little nervous about it. You know, I don't want to be a Calvinist. And so I'm going to listen to the best guy. And this guy was like, boy, is he going to blow me away with this incredible deep truth? And I remember listening to it going, What? Are you kidding me? That's how, and just the brain was just, just like an, almost a machine gun of shooting so many holes right. through that. So you, you grew up in a preacher's home and grew up around truth. What did you think when you started listening to these? Cause I mean, I gave these to you to listen to. Um, and, uh, what did you think when you started going through these? Uh, was, were they hard? Were they, uh, taxing on your mind or were you shocked? Well, I, listening i was listening with a, a friend on uh, on the way to work and we were just like a minute in and we're just shaking our head and we're, we're cringing and and confused at how they've come to this conclusion but on the other hand i looked at it and i was like there he's lost he's looking for the right answer so i wanted to kind of put myself in his position and also go okay he somebody taught him this at some point when he was looking for answers and this seemed to fill in some of the answers that he was looking for uh and so i, I think that's the best way to approach it because i think most people are just searching for the truth uh they just have been given a, a false truth and i I'd, I'd like to lay it out in a way that people can accept it and be easy to to be entreated uh and not to come across no you're just you're just wrong even though it is is a a wrong position, but uh, to where they, they can accept it. Cause that's, I mean, that's the goal. So. Amen. Absolutely. By the way, you can go a shout out. Who is that person you were listening uh, uh, with on this? My brother-in-law, Tim Peterson, uh, <laughs> who just left us and went and started a church mm -hmm. in California. If you missed the last episode, go get it. Uh, we did an interview with brother Tim on starting a church in California. So they had done some work together and we're listening to these together and had some great debates, probably better than this podcast is going to be. We wish we could have just recorded them. I'm sure they uh, would have been good. So, um, all right, so we're going to get into this. I'm going to cast this out to Jonathan, uh, on this topic, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about it. So um, this first one, and by the way, most people know this is TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. It's an acronym that they use for that, and uh, each letter for a different point, uh, five of these points. By the way, 
we're not don't have time to get into this now, but these five points of Calvinism actually came from uh, Arminianism, uh, the opposite. So they had a debate and a and a synod to get together, and they did, debated this, and they came up and believed Calvinism. And the other guy who was debating the other side, uh, Jacob Arminian, lost, but he put together his five points of Arminianism, and um, and so then Calvinism comes back and they do their five points, and they're the opposite of each other. And so um, and some of these, and we're going to define these terms for you because some are different and some you could agree with pretty much. So, uh, John, the first one, total depravity um, or total inability. So um, what are they teaching on that? Um, basically, my understanding of it in total depravity or depravity, uh, they they stray from calling it that because it can be misleading. Um, and so I don't want to get away from what they're trying to define it as, too. It, it is uh, defined as radical corruption, that, that we are radically corrupt or that we are total morally enable, uh, not, not that we don't have a free will of our own, but that we don't have a moral free will. Um, so that's what they would take and redefined, uh, the acrostic, uh, for, for T. So every one of these, um, pretty much R.C. Sproul, when he goes through it, he has his tulip outline that he says, I like this term better. And that's what he would talk about it. Um, and so and on this point one, there are some people who claim I'm a one point Calvinist and many that do would claim this point, uh, the total depravity, depravity of man. Uh, we're depraved uh, and we are. And the Bible says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We are sinners. Uh, we can't get saved by ourselves. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so we would agree we are sinners and we're depraved and we cannot get to heaven without God. Okay. But the difference is, Jonathan, how far they go is what? Uh, so the, and that's the definition that I like to, to look at for them when he says totally morally enable. Uh, that you, because you are so depraved, which like you said, we agree, because you're so depraved, then you have no moral capability to accept Christ or even want to accept Christ, that you are just completely unable to make a decision of that moral capacity. Uh, so, so many times the total depravity we could agree with if depending on how you define it but they then go to define it many times a total inability or you do not have the moral ability and choice because you're so depraved you can't even choose christ um but it's amazing how many times the bible says jesus said in john 5 40 ye will not come to me that ye might have life um it didn't say you cannot come to me i love this verse that jesus said in matthew 23 uh, 37 Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. It didn't say you could not, you would not. And so we'll talk about this and here's us for grace also, but it, it is, this is something he said, you would not. I wanted to gather you together, but you would not. It didn't say you could not, it said you would not. 
Because when you look in the Bible, so many times you're given a choice from Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. You have a choice. I understand um, that's the Jews and I understand context. We can get into that. But um, the spirit and bride say, come and let him that hears say, come let us let, let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. Um, so many times we're given a choice of what we could do and whether we could come to God or not. So Jonathan, a lot of people use a John 6, to prove their total inability. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And so um, I mentioned this podcast, we're going to go through all five of them, but we're going to go have five other podcasts on this where we go into every point of they say, what they say, what they say, and refute each of that in one point. So we don't have a long time to be able to do that. But Jonathan, what would you say on that verse? That's their verse to explain the total uh, depravity. You can't come. No man can come to me except the Father was sent, um, uh, which has sent me draw him. Right. So it's it's interesting in that passage, and I I was just reading through this uh, last night and this morning um, uh, on on this whole chapter, and and the the setting uh, of this chapter, all of what has transpired, doesn't have to do with um, who is coming, but that if you look at the people he was talking to, he had just fed the five thousand, he had just uh, um, they had just come over on the ship and then they had just found him and he was talking about himself as the bread of life and they weren't understanding. They just wanted to be filled on food and not him as God. And then he tells them in, in I think, uh, John six sixty five um, that tying back into to 640 um, where uh, you cannot um come except that that the father draw you or uh or through the father and and in i believe 61 he talks about to his disciples that were there uh what about when i ascend he, so he was saying in in 6 um i don't have the verse pulled up in front of me right now uh in 661 he he says that he's going to ascend and the only way you can come to me is through the father uh, that he was going in a physical sense. He was going, what about when I ascend and how can you come to me except through the father? Um, so he was speaking in a physical sense and telling them that I am the bread and you have to accept me and not, not the, uh, uh, food, um, that you're, that you're looking for. And so he wasn't talking about you as a person can, or you as a person can't, but that they, uh, and I don't know that I, uh, explained this. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into that more on that point, but it's interesting. Go back and read John six forty four. right after that. He's saying John six forty eight. I am the bread of life. Okay. What is he talking about? Then he said, you need to eat my flesh. And then John six sixty six. they walk no longer with him because he said, that's a hard saying. And to understand what he was talking about there, as far as coming to the father, John six sixty five. therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him of my father. And it's amazing. We think because of that, that that means that some people are called or some people are uh, are not. Some people can come and some people cannot. And they use that passage for that and totally disregard all the times that God had all of them called. And the verse um, that if you keep reading and that follows that up um, in the Bible, John uh, 12. Um, so 
put these verses together, John 6, 44, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, John 12, 32, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he would die. And so when you look at those two together, very simply, God, Jesus said, no one can come except the Father draw him. And then he said, if I be lifted up, what is that? Not praise Jesus, praise Jesus. This he said, signifying what death he would die. When I die on the cross, I will draw all men unto me. Jonathan, I can't count how many times I've gone through the plan of salvation with somebody, and they weren't serious. They weren't sincere. They didn't really want to be there. They're letting me go through it because I sort of cornered them, and they didn't know what to say, and so they're letting me go through it until you get to point number three of what Jesus did and when he died on the cross. When you go through the crucifixion and you go through the crown of thorns and the nails, amazing how many times they have their attention now and they're listening and it's real. And he died to pay for your hell. What are we doing? We are telling about him being lifted up from the earth on the cross. And then he said, with that, I will draw all men unto me. It's amazing. And uh, Calvinism is an enemy of soul winning. Um, it's amazing. Oh yeah. They're not called. They're not chosen. They're not interested. They're not serious. Many times when you start giving them the word of God, guess what happens? That word is sharp, quick, powerful, piercing, dividing, asunder of soul and spirit. Now they're convicted when you lift up the cross to be able to do that. So to be able to say that no man can come except the father, draw him. But then he said, he will draw all men to me. And so uh, there's too many whosoever's. There's too many times he said, uh, you would not, not that you could not come to me. So Jonathan, on this point, what are some other things we're going to go into that verse one, that passage. And by the way, you don't have to have John 12 to understand John six. Okay. You don't right. have to have that. So we're going to go into that a lot more. What else are we going to cover on, um, on this point? As far as uh total depravity or, or this verse, yes. uh, yeah, total depravity. Total depravity. Uh, I, I'd like to go back to uh, Genesis um, because I think you can get all that you need to know from the Bible uh, from Genesis. You can give somebody the plan of salvation and everything. Uh, I think that all of this is solidified back in Genesis. Um, and and R.C. Sproul talks about that a lot, too. Um, in total depravity, it does start from there because uh, the that decision was more or less made by Adam when they chose to eat of the fruit. And so they are uh, now, they now have a sin flesh nature, which we would agree with. We are totally depraved. We don't have good in our flesh. And I think it's uh, important to note a little distinction there that it does say in our flesh dwelleth no good thing, um, that we are not only flesh. It, we would do ourselves Amen. a disservice to just say that we are only flesh, but we also have a soul and a spirit. So yes, I would agree that our flesh is completely and totally depraved, but do you have other parts to you? And and so to go through that, to go through uh, uh, what he means by you're morally enabled um, to go to Christ or to even, to even see good, uh, that, that you can't even see what good is because you're completely morally enabled. Um, and I would say that on, on that, that uh, it's not a moral good, it's, it's a amoral decision. If you're to accept something that is good, does that therefore make you good? Uh, you've just accepted something good, but are you good? And the Bible talks about how his righteousness is imputed on our record, but we still don't have any good of our own. And so are you morally good because you 
have accepted the goodness of God? And, and so, I mean, ask yourself that question. Does that then make you good because God was good to you? And, yeah. and I would say no. Just so, wait till you hear all of this. It's really neat. Um, and Genesis literally closes the door on all of this. No one would believe in Calvinism if you understood the beginning of man and this choice that we have because they say we're not even able nothing in us to choose God to to make a choice of him because there's nothing good in us. But to understand there's good and there's evil and there's ah, there's the wise and the fool and the simple. And so to be able to understand in the beginning of that where we are, and it's not just flesh, it's body, soul, and spirit. So very, very interesting. Wait for that. I wanted to give you an overview so you could answer this, but to let you know, we're going to cover all these. By the way, any questions you have about this, all right, you've heard, you wonder about, feel free. You can email us at the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com, the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, you have any question about any of these five points, we will answer them. That's also one reason why we wanted to do an overview first by this. And we need to get going too. Point number two, uncomfortable unconditional election okay unconditional election the the t um total depravity uh the u unconditional election jonathan what is that uh they would uh redefine that or or um for better understanding sovereign election um that that god is sovereign and in his sovereignty that he he selects or elects certain people to go to heaven and certain people to go to hell. So sometimes people say, well, that's not really what they teach. That's not really what they believe. So here's a quote from John Calvin in his book, uh, in his Institutes, book three, chapter 23, not all men are created with similar destiny. They're not created with similar destiny, but eternal life is ordained for some and eternal damnation for others. Every man, therefore, being created for one or the other of these ends, we say he is predestined either to life or death. So Calvinism does teach that exactly, that it's unconditional election. Um, and so it's sovereign. God chooses some for heaven and God chooses some for hell. And by the way, you want to understand how bad this is, okay, Jonathan? Some people that believe this doctrine, where do they end up at? Uh, so I was talking to, uh, a friend of some of my family and we were just talking about different things and it wasn't hostile or anything, but he was asking me questions. I was asking him questions and, and he was a five point Calvinist. And it's interesting where he got there too. Um, he, he said that, uh, he, he's a pastor's son and, uh, his dad was Calvinist, but he wasn't going to take it at that, which I, I thought was, was interesting. He wasn't just going to take his, his father's word for it. So he was going to get into it himself and, uh, and which I have done myself. Uh, but he, he laid out the Bible and he said, I'm going to select all the verses that are for Calvinism. And I'm going to select all the verses that are against Calvinism. And that's how I'll make my decision. And he came up and I don't know how, but he came up with more verses that he believes sided with Calvinism than against. And that's basically how he made his decision. And, and so we're going into it and he's, I asked him, uh, about his children. I said, okay, so if you believe that you are elect, which every Calvinist does magically, they all were elected. Um, but he is one of the elect. I said, so what about your children? He has several kids. I said, are they a part of the elect? And he said, well, I don't know. Um, 
And I said, so you're telling me that you brought children into this world that could have been damned for hell for eternity, that they will spend eternity or rather they could spend eternity in hell and they can't do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. It doesn't matter how much you teach them about God. If God hasn't elected them, then then they just are going to, they're bound for hell. That's, they're on a, they're on a train, one way ticket to hell and there's nothing they can do. And I know there's uh, another point um, that talks about a covenant election, which is probably something we'll have to go into uh, that, that talks about if you, uh, some people have this view that if you are a part of the elect, then your children are then a part of the elect based on the covenant. And it's, uh, they're like, which doesn't make sense to me because we don't we don't get to ride somebody else's coattails in into eternity. Oh my my grandmother she was a preacher, so I, I must yeah. be a part of the elect too. Uh, but but he he believed that his children could be bound for hell, and he couldn't do anything about it. So it, very very scary. scary for the next generation. It's scary. Um, by the way, I heard a story the other day, and this may come from you, but uh, somebody that was a Calvinist. And, um, and they started thinking, believing more in what he said. And if a God would choose and create some people just to send them to an eternal hell, that's not a God that I want anything to do with. And they've totally gone away from all Christianity. Cause if that's who God is, then I don't want anything to do with a God like that. Yeah. He was a, uh, a Christian. I believe the guy you're talking about was a, a Christian, uh, artist, uh, singing uh artist and he uh he, he is now an atheist um he was very strong calvinist before so it wasn't just and even some of his songs uh will uh point to calvinist views but now is an atheist because he said how can i know that i'm one of the elect i i i don't know and and so then now is a complete atheist and how many people has he led away from god all of the people that he could have witnessed to or that he could have helped with music and whatever, uh, but now is an atheist. And how many people is he pulling away? Yeah, it's it's sad. So let me give you some of these again. Sound doctrine, if you can shoot any holes in it. By the way, the verses that are used to shoot holes in what they believe are the verses they quote from. Listen to this, Ephesians 1, 4. Uh, unconditional election. Okay. Uh, and it's about God. He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Oh, wow. There you go. Oh, but they don't read the rest of the verse. The entire verse says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The church, the Christians at Ephesus were chosen to what? To be holy and without blame before him in love. By the way, every Christian, has God chosen all of us to do that? Is that what he chooses and wants for us? Absolutely. That doesn't prove some are uh, predestined for heaven or some are predestined for hell. It says totally opposite, that we are saved. Now we are uh, chosen to live holy. Um, same thing. So uh, 
John 15, 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. There it is. See, you're chosen for, some are chosen for heaven and some are chosen for hell. But again, they stop in the middle of the verse. The whole verse says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye, sh that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. It's not talking about choosing you for heaven and you for hell. Listen, hey, saved people, guess what we're chosen for? Now that you're saved, you are chosen to go and bring forth fruit. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have the gift of souling. It's not a gift. It's a command. And there it is. That's what God wants to do. We are chosen. After we're saved, we are chosen to go and to tell people how to be saved. Those are two of the strongest verses that they use to be able to prove theirs. Okay. Um, how about this? Second Peter um, three nine, the Bible says that God He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Huh, what He's not willing that any wait. This is unconditional. This is uh, unconditional uh, election. Some are elected for heaven. Some are elected for hell. But wait, the Bible says He's not willing that what that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How in the world, Jonathan, and maybe we can get to this in more points, but I mean, I want to know what they do with a verse like that. I mean, how they just throw that out of the Bible. That's, you know, they say, oh, this out of context or in the Greek and uh, all the ways they literally just, just diffuse the Bible. Um, they, that's, they take the exactly. Bible very simple. Go ahead. That's exactly it. They, they, uh, want to redefine English because it's the only way to get around those verses. They uh, is not willing that any should perish, but that all they, they take all of the absolutes from, from that, the any and the all, and they redefine that. And then they redefine the willing too. So you have to redefine who any is and who all is, because those must not mean it because that doesn't fit with my doctrine. So I have to make the, the Bible conform to what I believe and not conform myself to what the Bible says. Yeah, it is amazing the hoops they have to jump through to be able to do that. So here's the way I count of how they discount the Bible. You know, we hold the Bible as our authority until it says what we don't believe. And then we have to go, well, in the Greek or in the original, well, it's just uh, his opinion, wise man's opinion. Oh, that's the Old Testament or that's the Old Covenant or that's a different dispensation or, well, that's a different culture or they over contextualize it. We love context. We use context. But uh, look, you can't take that verse. That's verse written to the Galatians. Are you a Galatian? You can't take that. You're not a Galatian. You can't take that verse. They over contextualize it. No, that verse is written to save people. I'm a saved people. I can take that verse and use that. Oh, that's in the gospel. That's different. That's just your interpretation. I love it when they say that. Wait, wait, I didn't interpret it. I just read it. <laughs> The problem is they don't like the reading of the verse. They've got to be able to change it. And it's sad. Let me give you one more just um, on that on that point. First Timothy 2, 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How many? All. It's amazing. How do you redefine all? You know, here's what they say. All the chosen. But that's not what it says. Exactly. <laughs> well, all the, that's what it that means. That that chosen word got it got dropped off in when we translated it from from the King James to the Greek and then back to the King, yeah. back to English. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So um so anyway, so unconditional election, some are 
predestined for heaven, chosen. Some are predestined for hell. By the way, we're going to go into also um, sublapsarian Calvinism, uh, supralapsarian Calvinism. It's interesting when you see in the beginning how they got started with this, okay? Uh, we're going to go into that also. And, and that is a big deal, too, because it's explaining in the beginning when God created us, what he planned us for. And there's some different views on that also, three different views uh, in lapsarian Calvinism, three different parts of that. So, um, so, okay, Jonathan, what else on this point? Um, I know there's some other things they teach. Okay, what about this? What about this? We don't have time to go into all of them. On this point, what else are we going to go into? Uh, I, I think there's two big examples in the Bible of people um, in which they would look to and say, see, they were chosen. They didn't have uh, any say in it. They didn't do anything. These people were chosen even before they were born. Um, so we, we'll look at... Uh, at Pharaoh, um, where God hardened his heart. And so they want to say that God has elected some people for that end and other people um, for another end. Uh, and and so we'll, we'll look at him and his story and what he did and how that God did not cause him or force him to do what he did. And then uh, the other big one um, is Jacob and Esau. Uh, there's a big misunderstanding about that whole passage and it it ends up in the new testament where it combines a couple verses from the old testament and they're not taken out of context but when you read them and don't rightly divide the word of truth then you get all messed up so go back to genesis look at what genesis actually says look at how it's brought up again in the last book of the old testament in malachi and then in the New Testament, where Paul talks about both of those verses together. So go into that. And those are a couple of uh, big points that, um, that they just need some light shed on. I understand why they're misunderstood, but I think they're really uh, interesting. And it's really beautiful once you see it the correct way. Amen. Can't wait for that. And here's the verses. Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? Okay. See, there it is. There it is. And we just think that's a random thing. God chose Jacob for heaven. God chose Esau for hell and he loved one and he hated the other. And then God's sovereign. So God can do that. And uh, there's no reasoning for that. When you see the truth of it, the scripture, it's amazing. Like um, in Acts 22, talking about baptism, um, Paul is retelling the story of what happened in Acts 9, and he says, Arise, be baptized, and wash away thy sin. And people around here who try to say you got to be baptized to go to heaven use that verse. Oh, wait, wait, wait. He's retelling the story there. Go back to the original in Acts 9 and see what actually was said. He was not saying that. This is a, when we tell stories, we shorten them. We use abbreviations. We use illustrations. When we're retelling a story, that's not what he was saying, that baptism was going to wash your sins away. And you know that when you go back to original story. So uh, if you want to get ahead, go do the Bible study that Jonathan just said. We're going to cover that. And it, it will be amazing. It'll be really amazing how God opens that up. All right. Next, number three. Hey, we're we're getting past the middle. Here we go. Limited atonement. Okay. The L T U L. Limited atonement. Jonathan, what's that? Uh, limited atonement is uh, definite, definite atonement. Um, and it's interesting that each of these. To go back to the first point, basically most of these points are going to completely fall away when you first dismantle the first. Uh, um, letter of this. So when you get down to definite atonement, um, that's how it's redefined rather than limited atonement, but that it, 
tones for that. And it's, it's, um, it's very wordy how they have to, to get into uh, definite atonement, but that is, uh, that is what they redefine it as. And meaning what definite or limited atonement? What, it, what does that mean? What are they saying with that, by that? Um, so that God's atonement um, is, is limited. Well, the, the limited atonement they to be redefined as definite atonement is that it is enough for the chosen, for the elect, but it's not for anything else. Um, that it is definite, it is enough, uh, um, but it is limited to the chosen. Um, yeah, that is it. The atonement, okay? Uh, the at one man, that's Jesus dying on the cross, paying for our sin, shedding his blood, that is limited. It's, it's definite only for the chosen. It's enough, but it's only for those people that are chosen ahead of time for salvation, okay? Um, and so, um, so again, holes in it, sound doctrine, 1 John 2, 2. He is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, the propitiation, the payment. He, Jesus, is a propitiation, the payment for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So is that not the whole world? Did he not die for the whole world? How in the world did they just cut that out of their Bible? First Timothy 2, 5 and 6, um, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for, um, and my page messed up. I'm going to have to go back and find that. I'll get to that one in a minute. Um, and uh, John uh, 4, 42, um, and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. First John 4, 14, the Savior of the world, okay? It is the Savior of the world. It is not just for some people. Um, um, it, it, it is for everyone. So um, how in the world, Jonathan, can they answer that when it says the whole world, all, he died, he's a payment for everybody. How in the world can we go back and say that he was not? Um, I don't know. <laughs> how, how do you? It, um, it is, it is, it is amazing. It's just to be able to I cut mean, that out or to, what's, what's you know, the, what's in, the first verse that you memorized when you were a kid for God so loved the yes. world. world. Yeah. <laughs> and, and look at, uh, uh, John uh, three fifteen, and then John three uh, seventeen too. Like read the the that the whole world through him might be saved. It says might be saved, not will be saved, um, but that might be saved. That they have the option to accept Christ or reject Christ, um, and it, it's it's everybody. It's all of us. It's the world that that we might be saved if we'll accept it, not if we were chosen or if the blood is. Uh, definite or, or, uh, or will atone for us. Yeah. A few more. So the one that I started on verse five, it talks about it ends with Jesus Christ, Jesus. So we know we're talking about who gave himself a ransom for all. He gave himself a ransom for all, not for a few, not for some, not for limited, not for just these defined people who gave himself a ransom for all. First Timothy 4.10, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men 
especially of those that believe. He's a Savior, interesting, of all men, but especially we've accepted him, okay? He's a Savior of all men, but especially for us because we've accepted him. What they say a lot of times is this. Yes, Jesus died for all the predestined ones, okay? He died for all of those. He paid the price for all of those. Interesting, listen to this verse. So it has two alls in it, okay? Uh, Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Okay? So the first all speaks of the fact, the universal fact of sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. Okay? The second all is that he covers all of them, the iniquity of us all. How in the world can you say that's only for the predestined, the chosen uh, ones to be saved when all we like sheep have gone astray? And he has what? Died for all. How do you say one all? Yeah, that's we've all gone astray. The other all? Nope. That one's just for the few that are predestined. How in the world, what kind of mental biblical gymnastics do you have to go through to be able to, to do something different with that verse? Um, read a few more. There's just so many. John 3, 16, you mentioned, of course, whosoever. Um, first John 2, 2, and he is a propitiation for our sins. We mentioned that one. Um, um, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. It'd be interesting for us to do a study and take all the verses that, quote, seem to be Calvinism and all the verses that seem to be um, for salvation. And by the way, I don't think there's any verse, quote, um, that's true believes in Calvinism. But there's so many ones like this, they have to just throw away, just get rid of, um, and have nothing to do with it. Act, sorry, Romans uh, 8, 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Listen carefully. If you have been listening to some Reformed theologist, if you've been listening to some of these people and you're starting to believe that, what do you do with all the times God said he died for all? He died for all, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, this uh, unlimited um, um, atonement. He only died for the predestined ones. He only shed his blood for them. No, he died for everyone. So, um, uh, Jonathan, what else are we going to cover on that, um, on that, uh, point? Um, some of these have less and less that you have to cover once you get past the first couple ones, uh, because they hang completely on the the first one so when you dismantle that one then you get to this one and someone once they understand the first point then they get to here and they say oh well i guess i i don't really stand with this anymore because this completely hangs on the balance of of the first one um so limited when you're limited atonement and then you show them that oh everybody can still accept Christ. Well, then I guess that limited atonement is now unlimited atonement. Yeah. It's for everyone now. Uh, so I, I think uh, that, that as we go into this, there will be less to go into the first points I think are where it's going to be much bigger. Um, by the way, if anyone's listening here, you have points on this that you believe show and prove exactly Jesus only died for the few. He only paid uh, the sins for a few. Let us know. Okay. We will deal with all of those. By the way, one of the verses we didn't mention yet, we're going to deal with, okay. Acts 13, 48. Uh, the last part of the verse says, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. 
Uh-oh, as many as were ordained unto eternal life believe. There it is. That's Calvinism, okay? That would definitely go in that guy's Calvinist uh, list there. We're going to cover that and explain that to show that is not on the surface. Uh, that's not the truth of what people think it is that only the ordained ones are the ones that are saved. All right. Um, all right, number four, we're getting there. Irresistible grace. What is that, uh, Jonathan? Uh, irresistible grace or, or uh, equates to effectual grace. What is the effectual grace that uh, the effect that it has on you that um, the grace that comes upon you that you can't uh, that happens to you with without your choice, but it's not necessarily forced on you is how they want to uh, define it. Um, or uh, something they'll, they'll say to add to that is monergistic regeneration um, that uh, <laughs> Monergism is the view within Christian theology which holds that God works through the Holy Spirit to bring about to bring about the salvation of an individual through spiritual regeneration regardless of the individual's cooperation. So this change that will happen in, in you uh, is will happen regardless of your cooperation but they, they want to hold to that you're not forced but that there is a change that happens to you first. That God first, or or in in uh, John six, it talks and talks about how the the flesh prof, profiteth nothing, um, but the spirit quickeneth first. And so they want to take that and say that the that first God has to draw you and and then give this grace to you, and and regardless of your cooperation, that you are going to be this grace is forced on you and this effectual, effectual, irresistible grace. Yeah, pretty amazing. Interesting. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to, what? <laughs> you want to take a guess? <laughs> Who has appeared to? All, all men. Wow. All the elect. So, yeah, the elect, exactly. If there is irresistible grace, when God's grace comes upon you and it's irresistible, you can't resist it, you can't turn it away, then wait, the Bible said the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. All men. What do we do with that? Um, it's amazing to see grace, which is this undeserved favor, and now we're getting forced on this. It's being forced on us when it's, it's, it, it, it is, uh, it is a grace. It is free. It is a gift. It is undeserved favor, and yet it's being forced on us. That just doesn't sound like grace. In fact, exactly the opposite of grace would be it forced on us. Um, and it's amazing. And to say we can't resist, irresistible grace. Um, boy, how many times in the Bible did people resist God? Proverbs 29, he that being often reproved, hardens his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, that without remedy. Often reproved often reproved. I know this is talking about wisdom, but Proverbs 1, because I recalled you refused. I stretched up my hand and no man regarded. You have said it not on my counsel. With none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. It's talking about wisdom being stretched and reached out to us. And we what? We're refusing. Okay. We have a free will to accept or reject God's grace, to accept or reject God's wisdom, to accept or reject um, God's conviction and his reproving of us, we have all the free will in the world to accept or reject any of that. John 5, 40, we've always said, ye will not come to me that ye may have life. We can come or we cannot. I love this, Acts uh, uh, 7, 51, ye stiff-necked 
and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. If we can not resist the Holy Ghost when it comes upon us, then we wouldn't have a choice in that. But Jesus said, or sorry, in Acts uh, 7, it said, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. How in the world? Again, sound doctrine. If one verse pierces the whole of that boat, it's not sound anymore. This is not sound doctrine when the Bible says here, you do always resist. Wait, I thought it was irresistible grace. Well, that's from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit that comes to us, and we can resist that. Unbelievable how we have that. They resisted the Holy Ghost, okay? Irresistible grace, that would blow that away. Um, and again, the verse I love, that Jesus, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest to them which are sent unto thee, how often I would have gathered thy children together as a hen, gathered their chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Okay, didn't say they could not, uh, they would not. Jesus wanted to gather them together. Listen, if your sense of grace is true, then everybody would have been gathered because that's what Jesus wanted. Uh, but it's totally, totally different. So, John, what else are we going to cover um, on this one? Well, it's it's funny. I was thinking as you're you're talking there, uh, talking about ex examples in the Bible of 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 people that have uh, maybe uh, kicked against the pricks. Uh, do we know somebody that, that God yep. says, how long will you kick against the pricks? Uh, how can, how could he have kicked against the pricks if you could not resist, uh, grace, this irresistible grace. And then at the end of that, I mean, I believe that their reply to that, will you see, he did change. He did eventually change. See, it was irresistible in the end. Well, that's because you see that story. How many people did God come to and they did kick about against it? And that's why we don't have a book of the Bible about them because they didn't end up in heaven. So thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. What, what about those? That, that was Paul trying to convince somebody to accept Christ. Why is he trying to convince somebody if, if they can't resist anyhow? You yeah. wouldn't have to convince them. Knowing, it's, therefore, it's, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You wouldn't have to mm -hmm. persuade men if it's irresistible grace, okay? Um, they got it. They're going to get it. Again, sound doctrine. Holes in it, holes in it, holes in it. And there are so many. Uh, by the way, I saw this, but I preached it the other day. I said, look, you did not learn Calvinism from the Bible. You learn Calvinism from a man and his books and his teaching. Mm -hmm. Nobody picks up a Bible and just reads through the Bible by themselves and comes up with a Calvinist view. Nobody does that. Um, you, you never do. Um, okay. Had, last, what, Jonathan? I, I had a friend the other day. We, we were talking about this, and he, he made a point that I thought was very interesting and very, very neat and goes along with what you just said. Uh, if you just read through the Bible, uh, when Jesus... Well, when the disciples tried to turn away the children and, and God says, no, let them suffer the children to come unto me. And then it says that unless you come like little children, then then you can't. You mentioned earlier how Calvinism is is are the people that are super intellectual and so deep. How can a child ever come to God with childlike faith if you have to get that deep? Yeah, it, it is. It is the childlike faith that accepts Christ, that he died for me. And no child is going to understand that some are elect. You mean my friend, he doesn't get to go to heaven because God just didn't choose him. 
No, yeah. God didn't pick some children to die and some to live. It's for all. And you have to come in childlike faith that I can't do anything. You have done everything. And it's because of how much of a sinner that I am that I can accept the goodness of God, not because I have any goodness in me. And it's easy for a kid to understand that because we ha we're not so prideful at that point. We're just, oh, yeah, I've done wrong and I need God to, to make me right. Absolutely. All right. Last one. And uh, this is an interesting one. And we'll try to explain this. The, the perseverance of the saints or sometimes called the preservation of the saints. So, uh, Jonathan, explain this. What, uh, what are we talking about here? So perseverance of the saints, uh, they they do want to. Well, and I guess uh, look at who, who do you want to look at uh, uh, in within Calvinism? You have many people that side with one side or another. So if you want to say that you have to persevere to the end, um, when I was listening to R.C. Sproul, he does side with the preservation of the saints that we are preserved. Um, and it is not us in ourselves that can persevere to the end because we aren't good. And he says that. Um, but he says, if you've got it, you'll never lose it. And if you lose it, you never had it. And, and that's where I would defer from him because he wants to say that at the end, even though you can stray and you will stray because we are humans and we are sinners, he says you will stray, but you'll come back. And that is the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints that God will eventually cause you to come back. And it's true that that God has preserved us until the day of redemption. He, he, he does have us, but it does not mean that we are going to eventually come back to God. And what about the people that never get the chance to, to come back because they, they die too soon? Right. So, um, and this one, again, we, you hear people say, oh, I'm a one point or a two point Calvinist. And many times this would be one that they would agree with. And depending on how it's defined, if you just mm -hmm. define this as that we, once you're saved and accept Jesus Christ as your savior, then you are preserved. You are sealed. Uh, your name's written in heaven. Uh, your citizenship is there. Uh, when you die, you go straight to heaven. We are sealed under the day of redemption. You have received the earnest uh, of your salvation, and you're going to get the rest when you go to heaven. Absolutely. Um, every true Christian should uh, should agree with that. But when they say, if you fell away and never came back, then you were not a part of us. You were not saved. And many times that gets defined right away. Um, R.C. Sproul doesn't, but many other people do. They look at someone's life and if they went away from God and they backslid and they got into sin in the world, then they weren't saved. Um, and uh, I don't know how many comments use this, but some people do. The he that endures to the end shall be saved. Not understanding is talking about a tribulation period um, and their they're physical, they're, them living physically into the end. They are saved body. They go into the millennial reign, a lot to go into um, and things there. But so people say that if you do not live for God um, and you go away from God, then you weren't saved. Or if you go away and you don't come back, then you're saved. What happens if I went away from God and I got killed in a car accident? 
then everybody says, well, I guess he never got saved. That would be that doctrine. Okay. That would be that doctrine. Um, and so again, we would agree that we're saved, we're sealed there, but not saying that we have to endure to the end, not saying that if someone quote, didn't come back, you didn't see them come back, that they were not saved. Um, the eternal security, we are saved. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. So we are preserved. Okay. But we do not have to persevere in order to be saved. Charles Spurgeon uh, once said, I do not believe in the perseverance of the saints. I believe in the perseverance of the Savior. So that verse we just said on, I'm in Jesus' hand and God the Father's in them. I'm not hanging on to Jesus. Oh, I'm hanging on to Jesus. I'm trusting. Oh, I'm slipping. I'm falling. Oh, no, I'm lost. Okay. No, we're held by his hand and God the Father holds Jesus' hand. No man, including me, can pluck him out. I am preserved. I'm saved. There's nothing that I can do. But people say, if you do not continue with him, then you were not of him. Uh, and saying you never got saved, judging someone's salvation. And they use, you know, not everyone that saith me, Lord, Lord, not looking and understanding what that's talking about uh, when they get into that. Okay. And so, um, so we again, believe in we're preserved. We're saved. we can't lose it, but not that you have to persevere um, because there are times in life, uh, I love the verse, which is uh, amazing where God talks about, uh, what if, what if they don't believe anymore? Um, so th- to see, <laughs> listen to this second Timothy, here's somebody that trusted Christ. Okay. Now they don't believe anymore. If we believe not second Timothy two thirteen, if we believe not yet he abided faithful, he cannot deny himself. Bible also says that people can forget they were purged from their old sins. Once you are saved, your name's written in heaven. You can't get out of that. Many times people are taught wrong afterwards. Um, there are people that looked at all the world and the science and got taught wrong and they don't believe there's a God. But if they truly accepted Jesus Christ as their savior when they were young, one of the little ones that believe in me, they're saved and they're going to be in heaven. They won't have the rewards, but they will still be saved. So we do not believe that somebody has to persevere. Let's get into a work salvation. Um, and you can't look at somebody and see whether they're saved or not because you can't see their heart. Only God can see that. So, Jonathan, anything uh, bigger we'll cover on that later on? Well, uh, like uh, you got into on this, there's not uh, there's not a whole lot that you have to go further than that. Um, but uh, it, to cover this a little bit more clearly in, in more of the verses. Um, and, uh, and interestingly enough that, uh, that I would side if you want to say with, uh, Calvinist to an extent on that point is like, Oh, I'm partially a one point Calvinist or whatever. Um, but I, I don't even look at it at like that. Uh, why are we defining ourselves and how we stand on the Bible based on another man? I'm, I am, I am a Christian. Uh, I, that's the name that, that, that I side with, uh, and, and that also look at where this has come from. And, and we didn't really touch on this yet, but, uh, you did mention that, that, uh, R.C. Sproul is, is Lutheran and Presbyterian, excuse me, Presbyterian. Right. Um, but where did they come from? And then, and the teachings of that all coming out of Calvinism. And where did we come as Baptists? Where did we come from as 
this is the fundamental Baptist podcast. Did we come from Catholicism? Why are we then going to where Catholics are and, and looking to their doctrine or what, what came out of the Catholic church? Right. And, uh, and okay, well, well then where did Baptists come from? Well, we were, we were Anabaptists. We were named by the Catholics. We were around back then too, already. Uh, we were rebaptizers. <laughs> so we're probably we uh, getting. Yeah, we didn't right. get a chance to get into this, but we'll probably get into this next time too. When you look and see the persecution of Calvin, mm-hmm. the, sorry, of, that Calvin had on the Anabaptists, and see what he said mm-hmm. and he did. Why in the world would we want to say I'm a one point Calvinist? If we believe with the, depending on how you define that term, that we are preserved, okay, saved, uh, eternally sealed under the day of redemption, okay? Yes, on that part of it, we would agree with the Calvinist on that. But when they say, and and again, it depends on how they're defined how they're defining it and how deep they go into it, but you have to persevere. If you do not keep serving God and you don't come back, then you were not saved. And that's what they say. And again, that's wrong. So I wouldn't, you're right. I wouldn't want to be defined as a one point with a guy named John Calvin with who he was, what he believed, what he came out of. We're Bible believing Baptists. Now, the danger of this is this Calvinist doctrine has filtered over into all the different religions. So you have mm-hmm. you have Reformed Baptist, okay, and they're proud to say we're Reformed, and they don't want to call themselves Calvinists. We're Reformed, uh, which means they're Calvinists. Um, they have Primitive Baptist. The typical Primitive Baptist doctrine is a Reformed or Calvinist, uh, predestined for heaven, predestined for hell. And so this this false doctrine has gotten permeated into all different groups and religions, and um, Again, I would not say that I am a one point. Uh, I like uh, Curtis Hudson's uh, booklet title, Why I Disagree with All Five Points mm-hmm. of Calvinism. Okay. So, all right, here we go. We got to end. Uh, we're a full hour into this. So uh, we want you to, if you have any questions about this, okay, what about, what about, what? please, please, please. We wanted to lay this one out, give you an opportunity. If you have, well, I heard this, or I heard this, or this was taught this way, give us any of that. And um, that will uh, give us more on those. Because in our mind, we're like, okay, Closed, sealed, shut. <laughs> you can just listen to this one podcast and go, all right, Calvinism idiot. Why did how in the world can anyone believe that? That's where I would be on that. But if you have a what about question, okay, what about this? Email it to the fundamental baptist podcast at gmail.com and uh, tell us what it is, what point it will fall under, and we will do our best to cover that and be a help to you. Okay. John, any closing uh, words on this before we uh wrap it up? Uh I'd say uh for anybody that does uh, side on, on the Calvinist side. I don't want to come across attacking someone for their position. Uh, it it would be better taken as a discussion. Um, I, when I was looking at this, I tried to pull myself out of all my suppositions, all the things that I thought before. And, and so many of these things, when you look at a verse such as that says predestined and you go, you automatically add your own definition or you add on to the Bible of what is predestined. Well, it didn't say that. It didn't say that we were predestined to go to heaven, but somewhere you heard predestined to go to heaven. And so you read that verse and you take, oh, we are then predestined to go to heaven. And there are verses that talk about predestined or predestinated, but what is predestined. And and so to to go through those verses also, take what you know or what you've been taught 
and then go, okay, I'm going to clear my mind of that. And I'm going to take the Bible at face value of what it says. I'm not going to add to the scripture. I want to come out on truth. If truth were to come out that, that Cal, that John Calvin was right, then I would then become a Calvinist. Now the Bible does not side with that, but I want to side with truth. And so take your mind off of that. Take, take those suppositions that you have and as we go through this, read it for what it says and see what is actually predestined. Uh, and and because we don't want to come across belligerent or or attacking. We want to come across peaceably to where you can understand it. We can understand it and we can all grow and be sharpened because of it. Hey, speak for yourself. Oh, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're right. And by the way, one of the best compliments I get about this podcast is they appreciate the tone and the attitude and the spirit. And um, we are just striving together, trying to help everyone. Um, That's what this is for. And so if you have a question, by the way, we we know there's more verses on foreknowledge and the elect Mm -hmm. and predestined. That's why I wanted to do an overview and try to get through all of these. We know there's a lot of other verses they give. So we're going to come back with all those. We're going to go through them verse by verse on each point and talk about them. So we know that, but feel free, send us those to make sure we're not missing anything. Um, if you believe this and you want uh, us to cover something, we'll do our best to do that and we'll have those on the next time. Okay. So Jonathan, thanks for being here and I uh, appreciate uh, you and your love for truth and love for the Bible and love for helping people. And, um, and by the way, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, you know, we have a King James Bible, so the plowman, so the farmer can have the word of God in their language. And uh, this is not just for the theologians. This is not just for the clerics and the clergy. Um, this is for all of us. And every uh, person ought to know the Bible, know what you believe, know why you believe it, to be able to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in it with meekness and fear. All of us should be able to do that. And I appreciate uh, my kids and being able to serve God with them. And um, Jonathan's a soul owner and, and runs a bus and um, and, uh, and teaches Sunday school and uh, a great servant of the Lord. And I appreciate uh, serving the Lord with my family, my kids, a lot of fun. So, all right, we'll talk to you next time. Send us any emails, give us any of your questions, and we'll do our best to answer them. God bless and take care. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com.